Hello, everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Annie. And this is Gail. And you're listening to Heroes. And Zero. A true crime podcast. That's right. Hi, people. Hi, everyone. Hi, Gail. Hey, Annie. How are you? Um... Fine and dandy. You know, know, it's hotter than... I know, I love it. A witch's booby, as my uh, mother used to say. Over 90 degrees Uh, Fahrenheit. You know, I don't mind the heat. Hate the humidity. Um, This is me bitching about the weather again. And I love the heat. So bring it on. I want to live where it's cold and there is no humidity. Well, yeah, I don't... I'm not a fan of the humidity either, Uh, but I really would love... Really, who is? So me complaining, just like preaching to the choir, people. (laughs) Oh, well. Hmm. I love it. I love it. So here we are in the podcast studio on a Friday recording. Known as Pod Lab, a.k.a. A.k.a. the Pod Lab. Lab. We were just catching up on a bunch of lake gossip. Mm-hmm. So if you are living at the lake where we live, you know, chances are we're gossiping about you. Just kidding. Just kidding. But we were, well, t- we were gossiping about all the real estate uh, yeah. transactions going on around yeah, here. A lot of, lot of activity around here. Bring it up. We love it because yep. it means our values go up, right? Amen, sister. And I love it. So, Annie, here So we're just we going to jump right into it, I think, right? All right. I, sounds good. Uh, I know this is your case today. Yep. I'm covering the... Gitchy Girl and the Murders at Gitchy Manitou State Park Wait in a Iowa. How do you pronounce Gitchy? How do I spell Gitchy? Yeah, that's it. G G I T C H I E. Okay. And Manitou because oh, it's all because it's a Manitou. separate word. M A N I T O U. Okay, so Gitchy Manitou. Isn't there a Gitchy Gitchy Gitchy? Ay ay ay. Yes, something like yeah. that. Some. Uh, yeah, it yeah. actually Gitchy Manitou is a it's a ninety one acre state park in Lyon County. Oh, where is that at? It's in the northwesternmost corner of Iowa, just okay. southeast of South Dakota. So a very small portion of that park uh, is in South Dakota, and another portion, the largest portion, is in Iowa. Okay, and so kids from Iowa and South Dakota will go to this park. For many years, and so this happened in 1973. So interesting because I used to live in Sioux City, and so Sioux City oh, yeah. has to be right by this because yeah, I think yeah, yeah, because at the end of the day, uh, kids from Nebraska too, because you've right. got Sioux City, which is Iowa, right? You got I think South part- Sioux City, which is Nebraska, yeah, and then you got then North, North Sioux, Sioux City, which, which is, is in South Dakota. South Dakota. Yep. Yeah, I used to go to school at Brookings, South I didn't Dakota, know that. at SDSU. Look yeah. at us learning about each other. I know, and okay. so I would pass through Sioux City. So on my I know way to this, Iowa. Um, my first business uh, I ever bought was there in Sioux City. So I know I had to have been close to it. So yeah. Gitchy, Manitoba, Gitchy, Manitou. Manitou. Yep, yep. Manitou. Yeah, like it's uh, yeah, man. Uh, Like the number two. Okay. Um, And apparently, I thought what was kind of cool, it has some ancient uh, Native American burial mounds in it. And it's known for its pre-Cambrian Sioux Quartzout outcroppings. What does that mean? I looked it up. It's basically um, the bedrock of the town, of, of that area, excuse me, that... These rocks, when examined, are 1.6 billion years old. Oh, that's so cool. And they just pop up, and there'll be like a ledge of them. Or a little, and so we'll post some pictures because I looked it up. It's pretty, pretty cool. Oh, awesome. And so I guess uh, Gitchy Manitou 
in the um, Anish, Anishinaabe Indian tradition, it was kind of spelled G-I-C-H-I and Manadu, like M-A-N-I-D-O-O, I guess. So, but it literally means great spirit or great force of nature. So I'm like, I know I've heard of Gitche Manitou, and I, but I had never heard of this crime. Apparently, archaeologists believe that that the southern edge of the where the seven there are 17 conical mounds, I guess, on this location, Oneata people, which to me looks like one O T A O N E O T A, but the, I looked it up, and Oneata is how they pronounced it, lived in that area for 8,500 years. Wow. Yeah. You know, we think we're all that in a bag of chips, but trust us, a millions of people came millions of years before. I've heard us. you say that before. And every time, I, 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 oh, the I can't help but to giggle. I'm try- yes, I've tried not to um, interrupt you, but I did. I think it's also good to remember that there's going to be life after us too, yeah. right? That life goes on, and that's yep. so hard to accept. But yeah, it is so sometimes. that's when you really it hits you. Eighty five hundred years, um, mm-hmm. we're just a speck here for a bit. In fact, the, we are, and because these people were around forever, it seems like in in my mind that would eighty five hundred years is forever, but not in terms of um, the bedrock that was one point six billion years right. old. People, so um, the county's first post office and the land office from the eighteen eighties is also found still like. It looks like the remnants of a stone shelter house. Oh, right so here in the park? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, so it's still standing. I can even envision it. Yeah. And so there's, there's like, you can see a fireplace. So a lot of kids, you know, go to the woods, go to this beautiful area. It, so they think they're being all discreet. And right. And, no adults and know what's yeah, going sneaky. on. Yeah. They'll light a, a fire. where we go and have some beers, light a fire. Yep. Play strip poker, make out. Whoa. I did. Well. You did, I, know, I, I just was thinking through my high school years. <laughs> I'm like, strip poker? Oh, wait a minute. Did I play that? I don't remember. I remember learning poker, but. I forget now. Um, but today to the, my high school friends that we all played strip poker together. <laughs> Hashtag strip poker yeah. friends. Um, so anyway, that's you can go see this park and it's um in it's called it's on Adams Avenue in Larchwood, Iowa is the actual name of the town, I guess. Larchwood? Larchwood. Okay. Yep. And the zip code is five one two four one. Okay, so you can type in, a fi- you know, <laughs> how, how you go anywhere and you type in the zip code and it will get you to love it. the the large wood you're looking for. I love it. Yep. So this actually is a case that happened in 1973. We're going to jump into it. So the information. Oh, in I, 1973? 19. So I was. Over 40 years ago. I was a year old. 83, 93, 2003, 13. Yeah, I know. Almost 50 years ago. Holy right. cow. Uh, you yeah, I know. That's me that. just doing math on my hands. Did you hear me what I said? No, I, I said I was a year. It's okay. It was, I was a year old, and so I could have told you how uh, old that was. I was nine. Okay, but think about that. And guess what? You just said I'm almost something, and I'm not really. Oh well, yeah, that means I have to do the math and figure out how old you are. Um, so go ahead. I um, it happened on my birthday. Oh, that's November seventeenth. 1973. So I don't know if you're like me, where you hear your birth date and you get this little warm, fuzzy, happy feeling yep. in your in your gut, and that's me. And I'm like, oh man, this sucks. This happened on my birthday, 
And as but a nine year old, I would have been kind living. of intrigued. Is this yeah. the date? Does the date what intrigued you to do this story or what, um, what pulled you to the story? When you Google some of the cases that each state's known for, this is was one of the other ones. All right. Yeah, because okay. I think I covered one. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. And, um, and then I noticed that it was on my birthday. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to look yeah, this up. This is meant to be. And plus, like you said, they get you, yeah, 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 whatever. <laughs> I'm like, hey, what is that? That's familiar. Is that a song? It's Christine Aguilera. And it's for that movie, Moulin Rouge. Oh. That kitschy, oh, kitschy, aye, aye, aye. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. You guys know what we're talking about. Yes. I'll hashtag you, Christina. Yes. Yeah, Christina. <laughs> Give us a call, babe. It's been a while. <laughs> like, my whole life. Um, so, it was on a Saturday night in... 1973. Okay. On November 17th, when five teens from South Dakota, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, they decided to go to Gitche Manitou State Park that was just over the South Dakota border. And their plan was to go hang out with their friends, sing under the stars with a, and play guitar and sit around a campfire. But only one would make it out alive. Oh, my God. Five friends and one makes it out alive? She Whoa. would be known most to most people as the Gitche Girl. Unbeknownst to them, they were being stalked, hunted. What happens in the next 12 hours will forever change the lives of so many, and Gitche Manitou will never be the same. Yep. I wish I had music right now. I know. I dun, felt dun, like... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> That's what the cricket sounded like that night. <laughs> so, um, if you want to know a little bit about these people, it was the fall of 1973, not November, so the fall... This girl, her name is Sandra Chesky, she was a seventh grader. So she was Young. 12 years old at the time. And um, so she was just trying to find her way. You know, you're preteen, and then I think her birthday's in September. Yeah. So it, maybe they consider September autumn, because that's the words that mm-hmm. were I found. I do. Uh, the, the information, I forgot to tell you, the information that I got this, the, the location that I got this information from, including quotes and everything else, is actually from the survivor herself. Oh, wow. Herself. Okay, that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Get you but girl. at the time, she was 12. Yep. And and so preteen, and, you know, that's an awkward mm-hmm. age. No offense. But she she wrote, co-wrote a book called The Gitchy Girl, the untold story, a, a survivor story of the mass murder in Gitchy Manitou. I love it. That, ha- okay. that haunted the heartland. It's a long title. Yeah, that is a pretty so damn that's long me title. Going from memory, I was so that's- going to hashtag it, and I'm like, "Well, shit, that's wait long. a minute." Um, okay, so first of all, that sounds like a great book. So you're going to give us the Reader's Digest version, but yep. if we want more diving in and yeah. just okay, go ahead. Yep, yep, yep. yep. All right. So um, she moved to the suburb of Sioux Falls, and that previous year, and she was just trying to find her way. So she must have moved moved there in 1972. So now it's autumn of 1973 and uh she was just a sweet girl very bubbly outgoing and um just you know like you oh well thanks she wasn't shy or anything she wanted to make everybody feel welcome and and was just super nice to them to, to other people and um but she had dreams like any other girl her age i guess she had um long uh dark hair and satiny tan skin and she did look older than her age um which apparently she had the curves of a high school girl which drew the attention of a lot of boys that is so hard for girls and the jealousy of a lot of girls yeah when you're young and you Mm -hmm. you develop earlier and and men start 
coming to you and then you're like, hey, mm-hmm. they're only 12. You know, like, yeah, it's uncomfortable. I remember being in that uncomfortable age. I'm just now uncomfortable <laughs> because I didn't have curves until like recently. <laughs> so she then turns 13 in September and um, she goes to like a, a drive-in theater and then she meets the most handsome boy she'd ever seen in her life. Like immediately she'd never thought about love at first sight because she's just 13. Right. And, but he has this long dark hair and he's kind of wavy and he's tall and he, uh, they make eye contact and he walks over to her and he's with another guy and his, and the guy's name is Mike and um, they talk for a little bit and then she goes back to her friends and she's like, oh my gosh, did you see that boy I was talking to? Isn't he gorgeous? And they're like, what, what, what are you talking about? Where have you been? <laughs> so, right? so they eventually start dating and this, this tall, handsome drink of water is 17-year-old Roger Essam. 17. She just turned 13. And I'm... The first time I saw that, I'm thinking, baby, your parents should not let you date this this 17-year-old, blah, 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 blah. But she looks older, so Roger never knows how old she really is. She always means to tell him, and they date for a few months before that fateful night. One of uh, Roger's friends is Stuart Beatty. Okay. And it's um, they. Um, his last name is spelled B-A-A-D-E. So I've heard a lot of pad- podcasters call it Bade. And then so I looked it up and I had to listen to her mm-hmm. talking. And so knowing these kids, right. Sandra called him Stuart Beatty. And so Stu, as most of his friends knew him, was 18. And he drove them in a van that he purchased with his own money uh, from working at a UAP, UPS job. And I guess he was super responsible. He was compassionate, empathetic. He would always be offering people a ride if they needed it. And so, you know, he wasn't being stingy with his money, with his gas, and he just, everybody adored him. And then the same could be said about Roger Essam, the boy that she was dating. In fact, teachers just adored and respected him because I guess he would help out any classmates that needed any help with homework or schoolwork or this or that. Parents said that he would be the son that they would be proud to have to call their own. He was polite. He loved nature. He had a respect, a deep respect for nature and a deep respect for people and women, you know, and so he was super, super polite to her to Sandra and he was just such a gentleman so all her girlfriends would be like oh okay tell me about this date and what's going on and did you guys kiss and they they kissed not on the first date I don't know how many dates it was like maybe three or four and he gave her just a real light kiss on the lips and that was it I love so that he wasn't some handsy that's Nasty, what I was thinking when I'm thinking yeah and so she was she was head over heels and she really didn't know how he felt right but I'm telling you how he felt was he felt he was so lucky to have ever met her and to have a girl like her and it just makes me sad thinking about how it goes so um Stuart Beatty so you've got Stuart you have Stuart who is Roger Essam's friend yep so Roger is 17 Stu is is uh, 18 and then his little brother Dana Beatty is um only 14 and so but Stu includes him on outings and trips and hanging out with pals and friends and they both want to have a band together and become the next you know rock and roll american legends here love it yep dana had every intention of following Stu in his footsteps on becoming an american rock legend but 
they only had one guitar between the two of them. So Stu would teach Dana certain chords on the guitar and let him play with it. Whenever the guitar wasn't in Dana's hands, it was in Stu's. Okay. So um, actually, uh, Dana was always so quiet that Sandra, and, and was always with them when they went out hanging around together, that she never really heard him speak. The only time she heard anything come out of his mouth was in a song. He was singing it. Yeah, so just shy. Yeah. Because uh, boys are even more awkward at that preteen, yeah. teenage. Um, and so Sandra, though, is the gitchy girl. Yep. Okay, so we've got I Roger, to that Stu, Dana. But well, you kind of mentioned know, yeah, that. I meant, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, what I meant to say was I will get to oh, okay. give you more information okay. later. I skimmed over it just a little bit yep. just to let you know what was to come. But it was uh, around 2 o'clock on November 17th. Were there five people, though? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. I'm just staying. Okay. Yep. I'll yep. shut up. Look at you. You're paying attention. Right. Around 2 o'clock on November 17th, Sandra was standing in front of the mirror, and she was brushing her long hair, actually counting the strokes. Because oh, God, she that's knew so Brady Bunch. It, it, funny you say that. She watched two programs. Because apparently she had been kind of in and out of foster care. Oh, that's and hard. Though I thought I wondered why, because she lived with her mom and and her I think three brothers. At least I know she has one brother named Bill. <laughs> that's who she's super close to. Anyway, they apparently the mom had a boyfriend or a past husband that didn't want the kids around, so he had her send him off to foster care. Good God, kids always come first. Yep. So anyway, she was uh, brushing her hair in front of the mirror, and so she only watched two shows, The Brady Bunch and Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, I guess. I love it. So that kind of was her escape, because she lived at a boarding house yeah. with, with a, abusive nuns. She lived at a, had at least one foster family that was abusive, and so she would kind of escape, kind of was street smart that way, and knowing how to just try to, I don't know, step back mm-hmm. and not provoke. Right. But she watched the Brady Bunch. That's fact, so funny that I said that. That then. is. But that's because Marsha 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 yep. brushed her hair. So. Yep. So Sandra knew from Marsha. And by the way, I use Brady Bunch as an escape, too, as a girl. I love Brady yeah. Bunch. Yeah. And you haven't researched this case, right? So your segues are just like almost supernatural. Do, right? Do, 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 <laughs> I'm a dork. Yeah, I've never heard this so, case. So, you know, she knew how many strokes to brush her hair with. Okay. Um, and before it would get oily, but just be perfectly beautiful and shiny. So, you know, remember, she's beautiful anyway. But <clears throat> the thing is, she doesn't know it. So it right. makes her even more beautiful. Yeah. So um, around 2 o'clock then, after she finished brushing her hair, the phone rings. And it's her boyfriend, Roger. He has, you know, his wavy black hair and a fantastic smile. Hair was a big deal it in was. the 70s. I just want to say. It's I mean, all I shoulder know, length, too, I, for I these guys. I know it's a big deal now. But it really <clears> seems <throat> like, you know, who's just brushing their hair in the middle of the afternoon and counting? Mm-hmm. And then he has this great hair. And then I just think about my husband in the 70s. He had this long, wavy hair. I yeah, it was a big thing. Hair was big in the yeah, 70s. Yeah, it was. Okay. It was. I, I think of you know they didn't have as many products then because I remember I was having pre pubescent hair coming in, and so my hair was getting coarser. It was no longer super straight and fine. It, so yep. I'm like, what? I, you know, I didn't know you could use olive oil or coconut oil, and, right? And kind of you know because I was getting some wavy hair, etc. So they spent a lot of time cleaning it and brushing it. But when she heard Roger's voice, she got butterflies in her tummy. Oh. Yeah, and he asked what she was doing that night, and she replies, why are you asking? And so Roger says, uh, hey, you know, Stu and his brother Dana are coming over to my house, and we're going to plan on going out to Gitchy Manitou, and I was wondering if you would come along. And then as soon as he asked her that, 
he thought, oh my gosh, because he's thinking she's beautiful, she's popular, I'm lucky to have her. She doesn't know that though, but um, he's thinking she has so many new friends. She's probably already made plans because him and his friends are very laid back, you know, rock and roller-ish, like, eh, you know, whatever happens, happens, etc. In fact, that's how that night of 1973, November 17th, came to be. Just a happenstance, spur of the moment decision to, hey, let's let's go to the park and sit around a campfire, sing songs and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Just hang out under the stars. In fact, that's how they put it is they they think it'll be super rock and roll, quote unquote, to spend the evening in front of a fall campfire singing into the night, playing their music. Because I think Stu and Dana wrote their own music yep. and et cetera. So to Roger's delight, though, Sandra says, yeah, I'll come. Hey, baby, whatever. No, she didn't say baby. Maybe she did. But he says, but, but she says, will you have someone come out to get me? Because, you know, her mom apparently worked long hours. And so she would be gone. And she said, well, maybe Stu, your friend who has the van, will come pick me up. Roger says, yep, he will, because Roger knows he will. Right, because he already talked this, to yeah. he, that, and he'd already asked you before he called oh, her. Okay. Do you think we can go pick her up? And so this kind of shows what kind of a um, a good guy, a mm-hmm. good guy, though, Stu is, because to pick her up is 12 miles out of his way, and then they have to turn around and go another 15 miles just to go to the park when they didn't live that far. Right. From, you know, three miles from the park to begin with. So, but she didn't know it, but Roger adored her, and he regularly marveled at his good fortune for meeting her that night in the drive-in theater. He thought that they were a perfect match, and he was looking forward to spending the rest of the day with her, as was she. But two o'clock rolls on, turns into three, four, five, because he said he's coming over right now. And it's like eight o'clock at night. They're still not there. So she's thinking, he doesn't want to be with me. So she kicks off her shoes. And I love this this picture, is why I'm telling it. She kicks off her shoes, because she's a strong little girl, kicks off her shoes, grabs a pillow, turns on the TV, plops down on the sofa, and, and says to herself, I won't cry. I won't cry. I won't cry over and over because she's thinking this boy that she adores wants nothing to do with her. You know where your mind goes mm-hmm. to that yeah. that negative place. And so, anyway, about 8.30, 8.30 rolls along and her brother Bill comes home. And then right behind him pulls in um, Roger and Stu okay. and Dana. So they had talked and she says, hey guys. And she's, you know, bouncing out the door. And, and I, I can, is it okay if Bill comes with us? And Her brother. Her brother. Okay. And they're like, oh, sure. And then just then, Bill's friends pull in the driveway. He says, hey man, you got to go with me to this party. Remember that hot girl you like? She's going to be there. You know, he's like pauses and he looks at Sandra because him right. and Sandra been through a lot apparently with the whole foster home thing and whatever and they were like best friends they talked about everything and he looks at her like i've already committed to you and and sandra waves him off she goes oh go have fun bill with your hot with your hot girl or something like that that's fine and so she goes over to get in the van and she senses that something's off so she climbs in and there's a guy here's a word from our sponsor and now back to the show. He doesn't know sitting in the back of the van. His name, she goes, who's this? And and Roger says to her, it's Mike, Mike Hadrath. Remember, you met him at the drive-in. She goes, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, 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 I remember. But still, even though they had met, you know, Roger being the gentleman, introduces Sandra to Mike, Mike to Sandra. They get in and they... They start driving down the road. They eventually get to the park, but first have to make a pit stop to pick up uh, Stewart's guitar. That makes sense. So they head to Gitche Manitou Park. By the way, do we know how old Mike is? Mike is 15. Okay. So all he's. Right. So uh, they're all the 15, 13, 14, 15, 15 17, 17, 18. 18. Okay. Yeah. So just the fact that uh, 17 and 17 and 18 year old guys can hang out with one, basically a little girl, right. a younger brother. 14. I mean, they're just barely in junior high and, you know, that their quality of character is pretty, is pretty Mm -hmm. high. Nowadays they'd be arrested, but okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
especially if you know right, that that exactly. person is is you know of that age. age. So apparently, you know, it was no big deal that Sandra would go out because her mom's long hours enabled yep. gave her some pretty lenient curfews, and I guess Sandra was very responsible. So that answered a few more questions in my mind that she wasn't a troublemaker. She didn't get into trouble a lot. She wasn't doing things she shouldn't be doing. Where the mom felt like I can't let you go anywhere because I can't trust you. No, she trusted her because she was a smart girl that made smart decisions and good judgment. Plus, she had she did she had three older brothers that all were looking over her shoulder. It just dawned yeah. on me that, okay. that, that she did have three. That she, she did was have three closest brothers. to Bill. Yep, 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 yep. Because okay. I think they're the closest in age. They finally get to Gitchy Manitou and they they park. So it's like almost like nine thirty. It's dark. It's yeah. Amazing. So it's starting to and it's in November. So yeah, the the sun is set and you know you can see the stars and everything. But and they're walking through the prairie grass and they pass that uh, old stone shelter. Yep. Um, they get to that one stone shelter that one of the guys I think it's Stu is poking around the fire pit and he notices that there are still some burning embers there and like someone had just left but there weren't any other cars around. Okay. So Sandra said and it was really really quiet except for the sound of maybe crickets and um, <laughs> birds. I don't have birds right now. Sorry. And they they were worried about taking over someone else's spot and. I, I never thought about that, but all of the guys were like, make sure no one else has claimed this spot. So there's something about taking over someone else's campfire that could piss people off, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Never been there, done that. they're just that polite. Yeah. I or, yeah. Duh. I never thought about that. Maybe they are just that polite that they don't want to intrude. Right. So they all went looking around. They found a spot. They gathered firewood. They had grabbed some paper from Stu's van to start the fire. They found a spot, they sat down, they lit the fire, and pretty soon they had a, um, a rip-roaring fire. And so, I think one of the kids... Keeping warm. Yep. Mike sits down on, like, a fallen log, and Dana and Stuart sit on another log. They're playing guitar, and they're singing and stuff, and Roger and Sandra are sitting on another log, and she's, like, leaning her head on his shoulder, has his arm around her, and to her, it's, like, the perfect night. Right. Then suddenly, Mike stops, hops up, and says, guys, did you hear something? The teens unzip their coats, or this unzip them. They zip them up to the top where the jacket ends, and they can, like, because they're getting chilly, yeah. and they're a little worried, and they're thankful for their fire that they have. And a dense fog kind of rolls in. And mm-hmm. fog always follows, like, supernatural ghosty right. things and stories and stuff. So that, that and then the, the, the fire is flickering and um, hissing in the dark night. But they're wondering, what's what's making those noises? Because they can hear twigs snapping off in the distance. Mm. And they said, it could be an animal, but there aren't any bears around here. Roger's sitting there thinking, he's starting to get a little panicked. And so he turns his face away from her and he's like looking around. His eyes are scanning the horizon because he doesn't want Sandra to see how kind of nervous he is right but yeah you can't see very much because it's dark right except for they have a big fire so the perimeter the light, but the it's not of, going further than yeah, 10 feet the the light of the fire extends to like the tree line and then beyond that they can't see right. it's just a you know sea of black but to sandra those sounds that they were hearing like leaves kind of blowing on the ground and then you hear a twig snap doesn't sound like an animal to her she thought it sounded like a human but she remembered that they had found a fire pit earlier that had you know some the embers right and so, so maybe they maybe it's this person yeah so Back. So they're all thinking maybe someone is uh, coming back to reclaim their fire, right. their fire pit. But at the sound of the next noise, it's probably another half an hour. And they're trying to be jovial and happy and sit around doing what they're doing. But they keep hearing these noises. And it's not like a whole lot of noise constantly. Right. But just enough to make them pause and stop. Mike is an athlete, I guess. He is like a kick-ass athlete. 
but he's a humble athlete. So when you think of like in his day, they would have called him a jock. Like he went on to win championship games. And I mean, because of his abilities, people, his his teams were winning. And so he had some extreme athletic ability, but he was a nice guy. He didn't know he was considered a jock. Right. Again, another amazing person. They hear another noise. And so Mike jumps up and he has one foot behind him. Like he's getting ready to sprint off somewhere. And because he's competitive and he's not going to go down without a fight. And he loved competition and he didn't rattle easily, but he he knew something wasn't right. He could feel it. He pulled the collar of his brown corduroy jacket up around his neck and he waited and he listened. The teens stood silently. No one was moving around the the fire pit. All they could hear was like an owl hooting and the, the wind lightly blowing dried leaves. So other than that, it's quiet. And then they realized we're all standing around here, the fire doing nothing anybody standing can see them. perfectly still right so so they're like okay let's chill chill out right so and it's probably if just somebody's a deer in the dark and looking on they can see you you so, can't see them yep, but they can see you yep so they think you know what we're being silly more than likely we look stupid we're all because just it's here. probably a freaking deer out there walking right. and we're like Ugh, i would whatever. assume it's a deer raccoon, yeah something yeah like that. yeah because to assume anything else is too horrifying so right. so stooped they sit down, Stu part, start, Stu parts, Stu starts playing the guitar again, and, and him and Dana are singing. They try to relax, but Sandra could tell as she's trying to snuggle into him again, into Roger, his left hand that was on around her back is now placed behind her on the log, and his body's just tense, and he has not relaxed one bit, so that doesn't let her relax. You know, right. She could tell. She feels safer with the guys, but she can tell that. They are still kind of unnerved by everything that's going on. They It goes on for a little while, just playing and stuff, when Mike's eyes scan the tree line and the light of the fire was kind of dwindling. And so it was that dark that was just beyond that circle. That circle of light was getting smaller and smaller. So you could see further yep. and further. Yep. So sh- the boys are all on, on high alert. And then after a few tense minutes, apparently one of the guys... And this is what you don't know who. So I think they're trying to protect his honor. Um, pulls out a joint that they apparently had purchased for two dollars in 1973. So two dollars for a joint. I mean, I'm sure pretty much a lot of people would smoke a joint. It's in the, in the 70s, right? Yeah. On, in so a, in a uh, after, uh, at that time, it was no a big deal. Park what night playing yeah. a guitar? I mean, I already thought that. I, honestly, that was already in my head that that's probably what they were what doing. What they were gonna do? Because they're in a park at night playing a guitar doing a little sing-along it just looks very yeah 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 and i don't believe sandra had ever done that before but right. you know she was smart enough that she knew what so it they're was. all standing there he pulls out who oh, they don't know they we don't, don't say yep, okay we don't know because i think someone pulls out a joint yep and so he lights it whoever it is lights it inhales deeply and then passes it on to sandra she doesn't inhale deeply she takes a little puff and immediately blows it back out she's just trying to fit in right and doesn't want to create a scene or whatever they continued passing around the the joint in a circle when uh uh, Stu nudges Dana and asks him to go out and help him find more firewood because the fire is, you know, getting smaller and smaller. So I think he's like kind of nudging him like, hey, I see that uh, Roger and Sandra kind of want to be alone. Oh, so, so Stu, why don't you come so there with are me, two reasons. brother, yeah. help me find firewood. We do need firewood, but, um, you know, 
let those let's let those two have, have a, a moment time. by themselves. Yeah. When they left, Sandra felt glad that she was still sitting there with Roger, and so she leaned on his shoulder and she like kind of inhaled the smell of his coat, mm-hmm. trying to just take her mind off of any worries that she was yep. having at the time. She was thinking about Monday. She couldn't wait to go back because all the girls are going to be gathering around her, and she loved that attention where they're asking, "Okay, what was this date like?" And she couldn't wait right. to tell them how perfect it was. So she wished, though, more than anything to this day, that she had had a camera that she would have had Stu or one of the boys take a picture so that they could see Sandra sitting there with Roger with his protective arm around her and how they were just a perfect couple. Yeah. She wanted more than anything to have had Nobody had picture. a phone on them back then. Nope. And <laughs> they didn't bring a camera. Right. And they'd only been dating a couple months, so they had no pictures of each other together. So I think of that, that's kind of a bummer. But I wasn't ever thinking either when I was a teenager. Hey, would someone take a picture of me and my boyfriend? I mean, it's so different now because it's so easy to do that. So... So anyway, her thoughts were interrupted, though, by another strange sound. And by the way that Roger and Mike reacted at the same time, she knew that they had heard it, too. Because Mike stayed back behind. Yep. He didn't get the hint. Nope, he didn't. (laughs) Plus, I think he was a little further... Off, off like just sitting okay. sitting sitting yeah. on a log and you know he was chilled and Mike apparently was Roger's best friend so Roger yeah. wouldn't have even thought twice about yeah. plus they didn't do anything they didn't right. kiss they didn't so it wasn't anything. like they were making out yeah right. yeah yeah by the way that Roger and Mike like they froze at the same time that they heard this sound Sandra knew that they heard it too so they're looking all over and trying to find like okay where did this sound come from because at night and you it know, could be Stu da- and yeah and so that's why Roger Dana. yells Stu Dana where are you and the guys say over here and it's from the opposite direction. They know than what they the sound they heard, and Roger says it sounds like someone's walking. He yells at the guys. Uh, Stuart and Dana come back with like hardly any firewood because they couldn't find any that was dry enough to, yep. to burn. And I think you know they probably had their mind on other things and maybe weren't really looking as closely as they should have for for firewood because you know having a, a large fire probably makes everybody feel safer because right. it's because it's light. The light because the light. Roger says, "Hey man, there's something going on. There's someone out there." And there was, you know, his voice had alarm written all over it. The fire is getting weaker. The rim of light is getting smaller and smaller. Tension is building again. And so apparently at this time, which when I read this on another chapter broke my heart, just several miles away, the dep- a deputy and the sheriff, the sheriff is Craig Vinson, were, they're like at a stakeout waiting for these thieves to kind of make an appearance because there had been a lot of thefts in the in the okay. in that area. It was a big dead night, so they decided to go check out Gitche Manitou State Park because often they would chase away fifty drunk kids making a mess right. in the park. Yeah. So that was their plan. And on their way, a f- heavy, heavy pea soup fog rolls in. Oh yeah. They can't see anything, and they try multiple different avenues different directions to go because they know how to get there they've been there forever and one of the deputies almost hits a car head on and they decide to turn around and go back Ooh. call it a day and when i read that i'm like i'm That's sure so heartbreaking yeah i'm, sure, I'm they, sure they feel guilt for yeah. whatever have happened and that if they would have shown up they would have yeah police would shoo us off from playing mm-hmm. strip poker too. they would have shown up and made those kids leave yeah and perhaps you know, stopped what was going right. to happen that was a bummer but then back now to the kids in the park in the almost dark just off in the distance sandra and roger both at the same time see movement just along the tree line roger jumps up 
And he asked Stu if he saw them. And he said, two guys just ran across over there. He said, Roger pointed in the direction of the tree line. And for whatever reason, Stu yells at Roger, Roger, say something. <laughs> like, instead of Stu saying right. something. So maybe Roger had a little bit more of the take charge kind right. of attitude. And so Roger yells out, hey, no answer. But the sounds of cracking twigs and crunching leaves also stopped. Now all they hear are the sounds of the river and, you know, maybe little critters like uh, raccoons running around, which apparently it's interesting how their, their ear can perceive the sound of a heavy one foot, another foot, like the steps of a human. Yeah, as but think to about it. It's completely silent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's creepy. Creepier. The light of the fire, what little they have, they hover closer to it and their tension is rising. Stuart which Rod- is surprising. They just smoked a joint. Yeah. <laughs> Ironically... Ironically, it's like you read this, um, Sandra was hoping. I mean, that's why she took the puff, though she didn't do much. You know, she didn't inhale, but it actually made her more anxious and more nervous. Uh And her mind was racing, like, even more than it was before. So it had the opposite effect on her. Uh, Roger then yells out again, hey, who are you? What do you want? Silence. Oh, my golly. This is so scary. Then the crunching of leaves were followed by two ominous strangers that appear right in front of them less than 20 feet away atop the low ledge a third shadowy figure is standing just behind them he's just in silhouette and they all hold a shotgun sandra's knees buckle from just the sheer terror of it and the thought of what's going on as the three men emerge from the darkness but enough so that she can uh, with enough light though that she can see their faces look like they're scowling like they're evil like they're mad and she doesn't even know these people right then boom a huge shotgun blast rings out and then another and another and another and she sees out of the corner of her eye because roger has stepped away from her he just crumples to the ground oh god and, and doesn't move immediately being the athlete that mike Hadrath is, and what, being what, 15, grabs her by the arm, and they take off, and he's dragging her along, and they go down just to the edge of a cliff, of a ledge of rock, and just below is where the, the Sioux, the big Sioux River, and they hide behind the trees, so immediately, this guy, she doesn't even know, she's met once, is like, protecting her and so she's like hanging on to him for dear life she's trembling and they're trying to because she just saw her boyfriend crumble down in front of her yeah so and so she is just panicked she's trying to calm her breath and her breathing her even trying to cover her right he hears her yeah yeah and and you know mike is kind of doing the same thing though he appears to be much more calm and isn't having as difficult a time staying calm for her so more gunshots more gunshots and then dana yells out Stu, what happened and then no answer and then a loud wail comes from stewart i've been shot they shot me so Sandra is just, she's like waiting to hear Roger's voice. And she could tell that she heard Stu. She knew Dana just yelled, so he wasn't shot. And she's with Mike. So right now, all she knows is that Stuart and Roger have been shot. And no sound from Roger, but she's hoping he's just playing dead, being quiet, you know? The men were standing on the ledge because they didn't know where Mike and Sandra were. And she could hear them kind of whispering because it was kind of bouncing off the rocks. Right. So it was kind of carrying her way. And so she kept her hand over her chest, over her heart, because she felt it beating so hard that she it was like in her ears. She was afraid they'd hear She's, it. Yeah, exactly. Just then, the three shadowy figures, after talking for a bit, shifted position and aimed their bodies toward where Mike and Sandra were and started walking towards them. After it seemed like forever, it was probably just, what, 30 30 seconds, a voice yells out, we're the police, come out with your hands up, and nobody moved. 
And so that voice yelled again, you know, come out with your hands up, we're the police. Mike tells Sandra not to run. He's like giving her some advice. Don't run. We weren't doing anything. And they still shot at us. If you run, they are going to shoot you in the back and you're going to be dead. Because she was going to run. She was going to take off and run. And Mike saved her life, she feels. So she's like, wow, this group of guys I'm with is, I know my boyfriend and Stu are nice, but everybody's nice. Dana, Mike. I doubt she's thinking it right then. No, she's, she's, <laughs> she adds, she is actually thinking. Like, that, Mike's so nice, but I'm being stalked. Actually, it was more like gratitude because okay. she yeah. didn't know Mike and her, the person she loved is somewhere off in the distance. Yeah, she's just so and thankful she, somebody's taking care of her. He is trying to take care of her and protect her. You know, she has time over the, the next 40 years to think about that. Right. So it becomes a little more implanted, I think, in her mind of how lucky she really was. So Mike and Sandra walk out from, you know, behind the cover of their trees towards the men and filled with adrenaline, Mike being the competitive one, he yells at, at the men, who the hell do you guys think you are? Why are you shooting at us? Without saying a word, the tall man with a Russian hat with the like the fuzzy Ear flaps, flaps. Yep, lifts his rifle to his shoulder and fires at Mike. And ironically, she falls to the ground at the same time Mike does. It was just like from the blast of it, it knocks him right. to the ground, but she falls to the ground too. She didn't think twice about it. And so they both laid there hoping and praying that the men think they killed everyone and would just walk away. So they both lay there pretending to be dead. Then she hears Mike's him breathing and trying to calm it. And she sees blood is all over the front of his jacket. And she's like, okay, he has been hurt. And how, how is he, how is he trying to be so calm and with his breathing? I'm having a difficult time and I'm not even hit. So anyway, so from the light of the remaining fire, the men walk towards them and Sandra could see their faces enough that the light from the fire cast shadows across their faces mm -hmm. and yep. so they look even you know kind of grotesque and you know shadows yeah, and and they look even more well, evil. Plus you're shooting a gun you look pretty evil. Yep so she sees though that two of the men that had identified themselves as police they were that were talking in, in hushed voices were thin and then the third one was a little shorter and chubbier so she got that much detail so far and she hasn't even really seen them up close so she is you know being savvy and collecting details in her mind in with the hopes you know that they were gonna get out of there in fact these are policemen they should they're not gonna shoot them anymore they're cops right so they laid as still as possible then they hear the sound of crunching leaves coming up closer to them then she hears mike yell out and actually move his body because one of them kicks him so hard in the lower back that he his whole body is skidded forward and and said and then and the other one kicks her hard and says they're both playing dead they make them stand up they start they all kind of stand around looking at dana they get him they have mike they have sandra so there's the three and the other two who are, are on the ground shot yep, yep they don't even bother with them okay. so they take these three kids that are left they start making them walk and they think okay they're you know they're following them so they think okay good they're gonna take us to the police cars and we're gonna be taken to the police station and right now they're worried Sandra's worry is that, okay, they're going to get busted for, for weed, and I've never been to jail, and et cetera, you know? Because she's and, not thinking that normal police wouldn't shoot someone. Well, she is thinking that, but she's like, why would they lie? You know, right. so she is, you know, just 13, so she's right. naive enough and trusting enough that she's hoping. She's just super confused. She is super and confused. And scared. And, and they all, but, you know, unknowingly, all the, the guys are wondering, how can they say they're police? They're, you know, they have no uniform, no badge, et cetera. Nothing's adding up. They're shooting at us out of the blue we didn't do anything if, if you're gonna bust us for weed you're not gonna 
and we had no no weapons, they wouldn't have just opened fire on them. So I think they were hopeful more than anything that they yeah. were telling the truth. Here's a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Truth. He said he yells at them to put their hands in the air and start walking. The gunmen turn the, the kids around and now they're making them walk in the opposite direction of where the vehicles are, deeper into the woods. You can imagine what's going through their heads now. These supposed policemen are walking behind him with shotguns, not taking him to where they know their vehicle is, but deeper into the woods. This can't be good. So they walk for a while. She sees that Mike has blood all down him. He's getting sweaty and pale and he's not. He needs medical help. He needs medical attention. So she's thinking, well, maybe there's another group of policemen back there with their cars and paramedics have been called. She's assuming all these things, though they have no uh, radios or anything, you know, to make these calls. Time goes by for, I won't get into all the details because in the book, they're very detailed about, okay, they march down this area and then they turn them around. Well, they're probably walking for close to, I want to say two to three hours. Oh, wow. Mike is losing blood. Eventually, they get to a spot where headlights from a car are coming upon him and it stops. They're ordered to be still. The two guys go over to the police car, go over to to the truck. It's not a police car, unfortunately. And Sandra was pretty bummed that it wasn't. She hears them talking. She hears them saying something about tying their hands and feet up. A girl put her in the truck. And so she's like, shh. I no, I, it's bad enough what's going on. Me by myself is going to be worse. So anyway, they they gra- come back. They grab her. He says, well, we don't have any handcuffs on us, so, all we, but we have this wire. You know, once again, another red flag. All these things are adding up. And I think it's um, the guy called, they call each other by each other's names, these bad guys. So they learned that this guy's the boss. Um, the other tall guy with him is called Hatchet Face. And the third shorter guy is, um, his name is J.R., Okay, so really somebody's named as Hatchet Face. Okay. Yep, okay. yep, yep, yep. That's what they called each other in front okay. of the kids. So the guy called the boss, tied her up, and said, it's going to hurt like hell. And she thought, this is a cop who's, he sounded like he is really enjoying the fact that this is going to hurt me. He can't be a cop, but he has to be a cop. Because what else does that mean? That means these are really terrifically horrible people right. they're gonna they're gonna do bad things later on <laughs> so so she can't let her mind go there the the wire starts cutting into her wrists already and so he tells her to get in and she goes i can't and he's like so she's kind of surprised at herself for her gumption because she was afraid to speak on their hiking marching around the the woods here because last time anybody would speak they'd get shot he says why oh yeah your hands so he picks her up and he places her in the car and in the truck i mean and when he does so they get mm-hmm. Sandra and the boss look at each other in the eyes and she has enough strength and confidence to just bore her eyes right back at him. She doesn't lose her stare. She stares at him because she wants him to know, I'm confident. I'm looking at you. I'm I'm seeing who you are. But I'm going to fight you back. This isn't going to happen. This isn't going to go down as easily as it has so far. And apparently she feels kind of proud of herself because that confidence that she was exuding and her willingness to stare down this man became unnerved. He was a little rattled and he started to like lose confidence. You could tell. So she was just like, yeah. Good for you, Sandra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then the guy goes back. He talks to the other two men. He comes back, hops in the truck, doesn't say a word, drives off. And wait a minute. Did I black out when they must have shot Mike and Dana? Or not Mike and Dana. Not not Dana. Or um, Stu and uh, Mike. Well, well, they were hiding. Mike and Sandra were hiding. Uh, shots had rung out. Right. So they Sandra saw Roger fall to the ground. Right. And then they heard they, more shots. So They marched those three around. 
And now they're just handcuffing her or wiring her. Where were those two guys? Who, Stuart and Roger that Uh were shot? Remember I said they just left them. They didn't even go find them. No, 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 no. The other two guys, Mike Mike and Dana. Dana. Uh I hadn't gotten to it yet. Okay. He jumps in the truck. That's where I'm like, wait a minute. Why am I not getting this? Okay, okay, okay. Keep going. Keep going. So she was worried because she was being separated from the remaining friends, Mike and Dana. And now she's off on her right. own and leaving the part with the boss. And she, as they're driving off, she turns around and looks at them. They are all looking at her. And she said to this day, the look of mournfulness on their face for her was heartbreaking. I bet. That it's hard for her to even think about today. And for whatever reason, her and Dana made eye contact and they kept their eyes on each other until they got so far away that she could no longer see him. So later Sad. she must have found out what happened to the guys. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, mm-hmm. she doesn't, you know, she's just so... Okay, so we're in a place where sheer hands are tied by wire. Mm-hmm. She is being put in a truck while her other two friends, by mm-hmm. the boss, while her other two friends are being held by Hatchet Face and JR. And... Mm -hmm. we don't even know what the next step is. I mean, these guys are watching her leave. They're terrified for what is going to happen to her, Mm -hmm. but they also have to be terrified for what's going to happen to themselves. So as she turns around to see them leaving, she's in the truck. She sees those other two men, yeah, the other two men walking behind her friends that are kind of walking in her direction with guns pointed at their backs. And that's the last she ever sees them. That is the end of part one. Wow. To be resumed. Gitchy Manitou. Gitchy, gitchy, ay, 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 ay. I don't know if that's right. Yes, sucky. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't help but. She is now kidnapped in a car. Hands bound by wire. Mm-hmm. She's gotten some confidence looking at the boss. He's kind of lost some confidence. But at the end of the day, next mm-hmm. episode, we find out what happened to the two boys, which doesn't, I already can tell, isn't good. Mm-hmm. And then we find out what we she find out went more. through. More and more. Yeah. Wow. Listeners, thank you for listening. And sorry, guys, I was a little. No, this is great. You're I, getting all the details, and yeah, it's amazing. I, I, it, it is so amazing, but I cannot wait to find out. Well, I mean,. I can't, but I can. Yeah, I know what you mean. To find out, you know, what exactly happened to her. These, once were, she's these were just young kids. I know. When Sweet she's young kids. Truck. So oh, there's a lot awful. of confusion for awful, 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 what's awful. going on. All right. Well, we look forward to part two. And yeah. okay. all right. Well, thanks. Thanks, everybody. See you all later, alligators. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again so much for joining us, everyone. Be sure to stay connected with us on social media at both Instagram and Facebook. Our Instagram is Heroes Zeros Podcast and Facebook Heroes and Zeros, a true crime podcast. And you can listen to our podcast episodes or support or donate money to us. And you can send us your stories and just a lot more at our website, which is Heroes and Zeros True Crime dot com. Again, that's Heroes and Zeros True Crime dot com. And you can email us also at Heroes to Zeros and More. That's the number two Heroes to Zeros and More at Gmail dot com. Exactly. And you can also support us at our Patreon site now, which is Patreon dot com slash heroes zeros thank you everyone bye